0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, friends, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 96, entitled Origins of the Phrase, Son of Man. As always, the Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and About the humanity of Jesus and we're certainly going to be talking about the humanity of Jesus today and for the next few episodes thank you so much for joining us today at the biblical Unitarian podcast I am your host Dustin Smith who did Jesus think that he was many answers have been given to this broad question but by looking at Jesus' own words and descriptions that he makes of himself one interesting answer emerges. Of all the titles used by Jesus, such as Savior, Lord, and Son of God, the most frequent title that Jesus uses as a self-reference is actually, to the surprise of many, the Son of Man. If Jesus referred to himself more frequently as the Son of Man than any other title, then it might be a good idea to seek to better understand what was it about this title that made it so important. So for the next several episodes of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, we will be examining the title Son of Man from every angle possible. In this initial point of the study, I want to look at the phrase as it appears in Hebrew. So our focus will be in the Old Testament for this episode. I'll also be sticking to the singular form of the phrase son of man and excluding the plural usages sons of men since Jesus only used the singular of himself. I will also set aside the Aramaic phrase from Daniel chapter 7. We'll use this for the following episode as it deserves its own specialized study. Within the Hebrew Bible, the phrase son of man comes from two similar Hebrew constructions, ben adam and ben enosh. Ben is the Hebrew noun for son or descendant, and adam means human being. Now enosh is about as close to a perfect synonym to adam that you can find in the Hebrew text. So both benadam and beninosh pretty much mean the same thing. So nothing should be made over the fact that two different phrases are located in the Hebrew Bible that render into the English son of man. The phrase appears over a dozen times in our field of survey. What sort of clues can we gather as to its meaning and why Jesus would use the title as often as he did? Let's find out on this episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today will be looking at the phrase Son of Man in the Law. We're going to be dividing up the Hebrew Bible into its three sections, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. And so our first section will be looking at the phrase Son of Man, as it's located within the law. In this passage, in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, we can see the phrase Son of Man. This is what the passage says. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. That's Numbers 23 and verse 19. Here we can see that the phrase Son of Man is set in parallel with its previous line. This is a type of writing that we see within the Hebrew Bible, you can also see it in the New Testament as well, called synonymous parallelism. It is most frequent within the poetic writings, but you can see it in a variety of places as we observe here. So what we have is one particular line which says that God is not a man, that he should lie, and then we have another line set in parallel to it and the two lines help explain one another. Okay, So God is not a man nor a son of man. And so we can see here that our phrase son of man is given a helpful clarification with its paralleled line, which has the word man. The word man here in Hebrew is ish, which is generally used for masculine human beings for males, but it's also used as a generic word for human beings altogether. So what can we get out of this passage? We can see that son of man is set in parallel to man, as in male human beings. It's actually all of the references of son of man within the law, so we'll move on to our next section. Our second point today is the phrase son of man in the prophets. And boy, do we have a lot of passages where the Son of Man appears within the prophets. Let's look at this first one here in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 12. It says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and of the Son of Man who is made like grass? That's Isaiah 51 and verse 12. Again, like our previous passage, we have synonymous parallelism. So we have our phrase, the son of man, who is made like grass, and that is set in parallel with the phrase man who dies. So we can indicate here is that, again, son of man is described as a man. And here, actually, the word for man is enosh. The word that we already know refers to humanity. And we can also observe that our two lines indicate the mortality of man, the mortality of a son of man, the man who dies or the son of man who is made like grass. Let's move on to our next passage. Isaiah 56 and verse 2 says, How blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who takes hold of it. That's Isaiah 56 and verse 2. Again, we have synonymous parallelism. We have son of man set in parallel with the word man, which again is the Hebrew noun enosh, meaning human or humanity. And we also have the parallel of the man who does something and who holds on to something. We don't learn much about the description of the son of man in what he does, but we can see that he's set in parallel with a man, with a human being. Moving right along, we can move to Jeremiah chapter 49 and verse 18, and we have yet again another passage set in synonymous parallelism. This passage says, Like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah with its neighbors, says Yahweh, no man will live there, nor Will a son of man reside in it? That's Jeremiah 49, verse 18. Again, with the parallelism, we have son of man set in parallel with the word man. Here we have the Hebrew noun ish, meaning a male human being. And so Yahweh here is saying that no man is going to live in this location, nor will a son of man reside in it. So what we learn about the son of man there is that is set in parallel with the description of a human being, with a man. We have a similar description later in Jeremiah 49, in verse 33. Hazor will become a haunt of jackals, a desolation forever. No man will live there, nor will a son of man reside in it. That's Jeremiah 49, verse 33. Here we have the same parallelism that we observed in the previous passage, back in verse 18. So it's repeated here in verse 33, and we're going to see it repeated in our following passage. But for this passage in particular, we have no man, which is the Ish, which is a male human being, nor will a son of man reside in it. So what we learned about son of man is that it's set in parallel with a human being. Moving on to Jeremiah 50. And verse 40 we have a very similar construction it says as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah with his neighbors declares the Lord no man will live there nor will any son of man reside in it that's Jeremiah 50 and verse 40 it's almost a word-for-word repeat of Jeremiah 49 and verse 18 but we are putting it here because it helps gather data as to what the phrase Son of Man means. Again, we have synonymous parallelism. In fact, all the passages we've looked at so far have the phrase Son of Man set alongside another word in synonymous parallelism. I think that's pretty interesting. But here we have Son of Man set alongside the Hebrew noun ish, translated as man, and we know that it's a human being, generally a male human being. So that there is Jeremiah 50 in verse. 40. Moving on to Jeremiah 51, verse 43. It talks about her, which is a personification of the sea. Her cities have become an object of horror, a parched land and a desert, a land in which no man lives and through which no son of man passes. Jeremiah 51, verse 43. So here we have again, synonymous parallelism. We have son of man set alongside the word man and again the word man is the hebrew noun ish a human being so we're seeing much of the same we're not seeing much variance in our evidence that we're trying to observe in order to understand what son of man means seems to regularly refer to a human being now we could move on to ezekiel and ezekiel is actually A very interesting piece of our data, because son of man seems to be a way that Yahweh continues to refer to Ezekiel himself, Ezekiel the prophet. I'll give you an example. The first time it shows up is in Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 1, which says, Then he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, that I may speak with you. This is Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 1. So Son of Man seems to be a way that God refers to Ezekiel here. In fact, Son of Man is a reference for the prophet Ezekiel 93 times within that particular book. In fact, you only see Ezekiel's own name used in that book twice. So it's a much more common way of describing Ezekiel, far more common. But there's nothing really that we can see from it that helps us to understand why Jesus might be using the title for himself. By referring to Ezekiel as a son of man, he is being designated as a mortal and as someone who is distinct from Yahweh himself. That's about as much as we can gain from looking at the passages in Ezekiel. But it does show up, and of course Ezekiel has the majority of the usages within the Hebrew Bible. Let's move on to our third point today, which is the phrase son of man in the writings. So we'll start by looking in the book of Job, chapter 16 and verse 21, which says, Oh, that a man might plead with God as a son of man with his neighbor. That's Job 16 and verse 21. So again, we have a parallelism here. We have man pleading with God in the same way that a son of man pleads with his neighbor, okay? But man here is set in parallel with son of man. We have the Hebrew noun geber used for man, which is just another common way of referring to humanity, referring to a human being. There's a lot of words within Hebrew that refer to human beings, and this is yet another one. So there we have Son of Man set alongside a word that means humanity, means a human being, and that is Job 16, verse 21. Moving on, still in Job, we'll look in Job 25 and verse 6, which says, How much less man, that maggot, and the Son of Man, that worm. Job 25 and verse 6. Again, synonymous parallelism, We have the son of man set alongside the word man, which is translated from the Hebrew noun enosh, which we've seen before, and he is described in very negative terms, like a worm or a maggot, okay? Not a very favorable description of humanity there, but that's exactly what the son of man is described as in this passage, as someone who is human. Still in Job, let's look in chapter 35 and verse 8, which says, Your wickedness is for a man, like yourself, and your righteousness is for a son of man. Job 35, verse 8. Again, synonymous parallelism. Again, son of man is set alongside man. And again, we see man translated here from the Hebrew noun ish, which means humanity, sometimes refers to a male human being. But again, we have synonymous parallelism in each of these references, all the references outside of Ezekiel. Moving from Job to the Psalms, you can look at Psalm 8 and verse 4, which is a very important Psalm, by the way. Psalm 8 and verse 4, it says, What is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Psalm 8 and verse 4. Here we have, again, synonymous parallelism. Son of man, our phrase of study, is set alongside man, which comes from the Hebrew noun enosh. Of course, it is being asked of God that, what is it about man that you thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? So this is just son of man referring to humanity. Referring to normal human beings and it's asking that question what is it about humanity that makes them so special that God would think of them of course the psalm goes on to indicate that they were made a little bit lower than God but they were crowned with glory and honor in reference back to the crowning accomplishment of humanity that we see in the theology of Genesis chapter 1 with the initial human being Adam who to the surprise of nobody Has a name which means humanity. That's what Adam means. Adam means humanity, human being. Moving along to Psalm 80 and verse 17, it says, Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the Son of Man, whom you made strong for yourself. Psalm 80 and verse 17. This is a call to God saying, God, let your hand be upon the man coming from the Hebrew noun ish, and upon the Son of Man, whom you have made strong for yourself. To make someone strong is to empower them with one's right hand, and that's what we can see here, again, in the synonymous parallelism. And in this parallelism, we again see Son of Man set alongside another word, which means a human being, which means humanity. That there is Psalm 80 and verse 17. And to wrap up our references, we are going to look at Psalm 146 and verse 3, where it says, Do not trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. That's Psalm 146 and verse 3. Now, A lot of translations in English aren't going to have son of man here. Sometimes it's translated as mortal men. Do not trust in princes, in mortal men, as the NASB has it. But it's actually singular in Hebrew. It's actually our phrase, Son of Man, that we are interested in observing. But I can understand why translators would not want to translate a passage that says, Don't trust in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation, because that could be confusing for New Testament theology. But the phrase is Son of Man, and so we need to look at it. But the point here is that Son of Man is set, again, in synonymous parallelism, but it's set in parallel with princes. This is the first time that we see this word princes, which is actually not a noun. It's actually an adjective, plural adjective for nobles, the adjective nadiv. And this adjective is always used in the Hebrew Bible for human beings. It's never used of God. It's never used of heavenly angels. And this passage here in Psalm 146 and verse 3 continues on by indicating that these nobles, these princes, these sons of men, even though it's used in the singular, son of man, are actually mortal. The very next verse talks about how they die, how their spirit is taken away, and they return to dust. So, in conclusion, we have observed that Son of Man, the favorite self-reference of Jesus Christ, is a fairly casual designation for humanity throughout the Hebrew Bible. It appears in the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings, further indicating its casual usage. In all of its Hebrew appearances outside of Ezekiel, Son of Man is helpfully set alongside another word in synonymous parallelism. In each case, the word set parallel to son of man is just another basic word for human beings, for mortals, for mankind in general, and on one occasion for nobles, noble princes who are susceptible to death. In the case of Ezekiel, the phrase son of man is used over 90 times for the prophet, far more frequently than his own given name. It served to mark Ezekiel out as a mortal human being distinguished from the true God. In all of the Hebrew occurrences of the phrase Son of Man, none of them were used to refer to someone who was non-human, such as a heavenly angel or even Yahweh himself. Son of Man always without exception, referred to a member of the human race. Furthermore, the phrase indicated an actual human person, without any qualification, that it only meant some manner of impersonal human nature in the manner that is commonly attributed to Christ in later Trinitarian discussions. The phrase Son of Man is not a reference to impersonal humanity it always denoted actual, genuine human beings who are mortal flesh and blood. In one sense, there is important data that we can use to better understand why Jesus used this phrase of himself. And in another sense, there is more work to be done. On one hand, Son of Man is a genuine human being. And this agrees with the insistence Made by all four gospel writers that Jesus too is a human being on the other hand the phrase son of man is just a casual reference to humanity throughout the Hebrew Bible and that there doesn't seem to be a specialized meaning behind it it is only when we look at the son of man in its Aramaic reference located within Daniel 7 that we begin to find a specialized meaning behind the phrase. Looking at Daniel 7 and what Son of Man means there will be the focus of our next episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you are a current subscriber, thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast. If you would like to support the podcast and keep it on the air, please check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much to everybody for listening to this episode. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.